Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regard to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu slash econop. Okay, so our next speaker is uh, Dr. Brad Greenwood. He's a professor of information systems and operations management at George Mason University. He previously had faculty positions at University of Minnesota, Temple University, and University of Maryland. He has an undergraduate degree from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York. Master's degrees, master's degrees from Virginia Tech, University of Notre Dame, and George Mason University as well as a PhD in Decision Operations and Information Technology from the University of Maryland. Dr. Greenwood's research examines the intended and unintended consequences of innovation and how access to the resulting information affects welfare at the interface between business, technology, and social issues. He's published dozens of academic articles in top journals such as Management Science, MIS Quarterly, and the Journal of Law, Economics, and Organization. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Greenwood to Kansas State. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I will not live up to any of that. Um, so they say write what you know, so I'm going to talk about Uber and booze, um, which I, I understand all of you were partying very hard at Owl's Loft or whatever it was. You know, ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. So keep this in mind when when you're when you're out on the town next time. Uh, so uh, like Tim said, I, I study the unintended consequences of innovation right, and how that affects society, societal issues right, in terms of profitability and welfare. And, and the two contexts that I spend a lot of time in are, are healthcare and digital platforms, which I think are kind of interesting places to begin. Um, so I'd like to talk today about some of the effects that digital platforms are having on business and society, and hopefully we'll keep this light so you don't fall asleep. So digital platforms are brokerages. Right? That's the way that you should think about them. All they do is take people and they make matches more efficient. Right? It's the exact same thing like when you're trying to find somebody to date on Match.com versus doing it in the bar. The difference is that you actually know that somebody wants to go on a date if they're on Match.com and you don't know if they want to go on a date with you at the bar because you can't just go up and be like, huh, what are you here for? Are you here to hook up? Are you here to hook up? You couldn't do that. You look like a psychopath. Right? So what Lyft and Uber do are take people who want to give rides and match them with people who do, give, do want to take rides, and it dramatically decreases the costs that are associated with it. Right? So why should we even care about this? Well, this is really what the internet has fostered. Right? If you think about Amazon.com or eBay, the original examples, were all just digital brokerages. The emergence of Airbnb and Uber is just an increase in brokerages. Right? Or if you think about LendingTree and Venmo, these are just digital brokerages. All they are doing is trying to facilitate matching processes. Right? But I think the problem, and this kind of began to come up in, the, in some of the earlier talks, debates not just in the political sphere more brandly, or generally, but debates about things like Uber and Airbnb and Lyft have devolved into these theological screaming matches, right? where people take one position, oh, Uber is bad, or, oh, no, Uber is good. And that's not helpful. 
right? Because if we want to design policy, if we want to make the world a better place, we want to find out where these things are good and where these things might not be so good so we can attenuate the negative effects and so we can emphasize the positive effects, right? Because things are not just good or bad, right? That's a, that's a black and white distinction. It doesn't make sense. So what can we say about this market? Let's start with three facts, right? The first is what is valued in the economy is changing, right? If you look at top 12 companies by market cap in year 2000, you really have two digital companies. Walmart, which is the first real digital firm that emerges, and Microsoft. Contrast that with 2018. You look at the top 12, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alibaba, and Walmart stores, right? Entirely information-based firms, right? So information is becoming more valuable, right? Just look at the Uber and, I and Lyft IPOs. The amount of money that's coming out of this is just staggering, right? Second, this is occurring on an unprecedented scale. The size of the sharing economy right now is $1.5 trillion, which is roughly the size of Canada. Right. Canada, it's a thing, right? It's a lot further from Georgia than where I live, but it's a thing, right? Uber provides 1.5 million rides per day, and that's mid-pandemic numbers, right? Airbnb is hosting 6.5 million daily across 100,000 cities. You have about 1.1 global or billion global gig workers, and 16% of the American economy or of Americans have earned money through a digital platform, right? Just again for scale, this is half the size of Great Britain's economy. Once the largest empire ever to have faced the world, half the size. Like, that should, that should blow your mind, right? And finally, you have no diseconomies of scales in this market, right? So economists, we talk about this rule of three a lot, right? What usually happens, if you remember your Econ 101, is we operate at minimum efficient scale and long-run average costs. If we go over the minimum efficient scale, eventually it becomes unprofitable to operate. Right? And that's why we have three firms emerge in most markets. Right? You think about the automobile market. You have GM, Chrysler's not really a thing, and Ford. Right? Or we can think about a lot of other markets, but you usually have multiple players. You don't have this diseconomy of scales in platform businesses, which means you can have one firm service the entire market. I know we like to pretend Apple's a thing. It's not. Microsoft owns the operating system market. We like to pretend that Bing is a thing. How do I know Bing is the best search engine? Well, I Googled it. Right? Google services 95% of the market. And what you have as an implication of this is a lot of businesses where there's winner take all, where you're going to have one firm that's going to emerge as a monopoly. Right? And as a result, we want to think about the implications of one firm usually running everything. Right? So is the platform-based economy a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know the answer to that question. Right? There are examples of being great right? or of being horrible. Right? So drivers are advocating for better wages because they believe they're underpaid. Right? A Virginia, Uber war driver, a Virginia Uber driver was a Somali war criminal. We'd argue that's bad. We probably shouldn't be driving, right? There's controversy over valuations and whether or not people are being defrauded, right? You have squatters who are just staying inside people's Airbnbs for year on year, right? These are probably bad things. On the other hand, you have stories of Uber drivers saving women, young men and women from sex trafficking, right? You have 53 million freelancers in the United States gaining rents and revenues. So, so people are being employed as a result of this. Right? And it's found, found a way to mitigate market failures in terms of tourism and a thousand other things. So when you say, is it good or bad? I don't know the answer to that question. And I think anybody who says they does is either unthoughtful or trying to sell you something. Right? But I can answer smaller questions, and that's what we're going to try and do today. Right? Let's try to get away from this big question, is it good or bad? Let's just see if we can solve little questions. 
right? Because that's the only way we're going to get away from these theological screaming matches is to start building puzzles, right? Start putting the puzzles broader, more broadly together so we can begin to accentuate the good and minimize the bad. Because if we start enacting policy without thinking about these things first, you know, we end up being, we're no better than medieval doctors and their leeches. Sometimes the patient gets better, sometimes it gets worse, but we don't know, right? So we're going to try to apply some stats and figure things out. All right, so let's talk about Uber. What do we know? Uber is a TNC that was founded in 2009 in Chicago. It has a $58 billion market cap, right? You have 2 million current drivers on the platform, and it's heavily used by younger folks. I consider myself in that category, although I'm not, right, as, for, as a market for secondary transportation. What might be asked? Does the service minimize risky behavior like drunk driving? If so, does it change the amount that people drink? And if there are changes in alcohol consumptions, are there further spillovers that come from the market? Right, so we're going to try and take this thread and pull it, see what happens. Okay, so question one, does the service minimize risky behavior? And like I said, we're going to talk about drunk driving because drunk driving is bad. Drunk driving leads to dead people, and dead people is bad for the economy. Right? So two literatures inform this question. Right? On the one hand, there's excellent work in platforms, which I kind of talk about. This is all Giannis Bakos and Marshall Van Alstine and Jeff Parker, people who you've never heard about but should win a Nobel Prize eventually. Uh, Gene Tyrol already did. And there's criminology work in rational choice theory. Right? And I know what you're thinking. This is, we were talking about drunks. How can there be rational drunks out there? But if you think about your own experience as a drunk, you've probably been rational about things. The quality of the booze you buy probably degrades over the night. No, nobody's drinking Beast at the end of the evening. You can admit it. Okay, you can lie to yourselves, but you can't lie to me. Right? So when presented with sufficient payouts and limited marginal costs, rational individuals are more likely to engage in criminal acts, like drunk driving. Right? So if you think about a taxi cab, a taxi cab's not costless. There's search costs plus the cost of the service. You have to wander around and fight it, and these costs are guaranteed, but the payout is uncertain. So there's no guarantee that I'm going to find a taxi cab to bring me from point A to point B, but it's almost guaranteed that I'm going to find an Uber. At the same time, DUIs are not costless. The cost for a first DUI offense is between $5,000 and $12,000 on average, right? And the apprehension probability is not 100%. So you say, well, if the cost of a cab is sufficiently high, I might roll the dice. I'll just drive drunk, right? Because the probability that I get caught, it's not one. It's not 100%. And that's a rational choice of payoff. Well, ride-sharing firms reduce the information asymmetry between patrons and drivers, right? So you say, you go on your app, you say, I want an Uber. It tells you exactly when it's going to arrive. It tells you exactly what the price is, and you're guaranteed that transition from point A to point B. Well, if the utility derived by the consumer exceeds the price point change, then we would expect the user would be willing to pay instead of driving drunk. It's basic kind of I.O. argument, right? And we might have different effects across UberX and UberBlack because UberX is going to be significantly cheaper and UberBlack is going to be significantly more expensive, right? So this degree of utility substitution might change. All right, so let's test this. All right, so we gather data from the California Highway Patrol's statewide integrated traffic reporting system. What this is going to give me is the number of crashes which occurred in each township and whether or not, and the blood alcohol content of each driver. The observation is going to be at the town quarter. So I have 12,420 observations across 23 quarters and 50, uh, 540 townships in California. Right? And then I'm going to pull a bunch of data on Uber entry from the Uber blog. And what I'm going to estimate is what's called a difference in difference estimation. Right? So I'm going to look at the change in the rate of DUI fatalities across places that received the Uber treatment versus those that didn't get the Uber treatment. And if I see a difference in the way that these two things trend, generally, I can causally attribute it to the entry of Uber. All right, so we set up our estimation. I know you were told there would be no math. There's math. All right, so we're going to regress the number 
of drunks, the log number of drunks on a group of town fixed effects, through time fixed effects, and then the entry of Uber itself, right? So I'm going to include crolls, and then I'm going to uh, use standard errors that are robust and cluster on the sounding level, which I'm sure that nobody cares about clustering standard errors, but I do, and I like to talk about it. Right, so what do you see in a diff and diff? What you see is that the entry of UberX leads to a negative and significant effect on the number of drunk driving deaths that occur, right? No such effect for Uber Black, right? So that suggests that on the margin, if it's cheap enough, people are willing to not drive drunk in order to get home safe. And this actually has positive welfare benefits. And if you visualize this in relative time, this is before treatment, this is after entry, right? What you see is pretty narrow or pretty straightforward, and it goes, woo, dropping off, right? So it's accelerating over time. Contrast that with Uber Black, right? And this is basically a straight line, although it's trending down slightly, right? So what does that tell us? It tells us that we can actually save lives if we implement Uber. Well, what is there? Is there any heterogeneity in effect? That's a nice question to ask too, right? We might think about locations. On the one hand, the effect of Uber might be way bigger in a place like Atlanta, right? There are more people, there are more people going out, there are more people that require cabs. As a result, the effect might be bigger in Atlanta than it is in a smaller town. On the other hand, the effect might be much bigger in a smaller town because you don't have established infrastructure, right? Nobody in New York needs a cab. You can always take the subway, right? So let's stratify the sample based on population in small cities medium-sized cities, so those 50,000, 250,000, and large cities. And what you see when you do that, I apologize for the eyeball slide, is that the effect intensifies in larger and more populated areas to the extent that you even see an effect of Uber Black in those areas, right? So what this tells us is that if we implement Uber, we're gonna reduce the number of drunk driving deaths in larger cities, right, because we have significantly large network effects that'll help you capture that, all right. Then there's a series of robustness checks, and if you guys want to talk about diagnosing standard errors, I'm, I'm happy to do it, but nobody usually does. All right, so question one. The effect of UberX decreases alcohol-related motor vehicle fatalities, and there's a limited effect of Uber Black. All right, the conceptually suggests that people are willing to pay to avoid drunk driving, but not willing to pay, pay premium prices to do so. Effects take between 9 and 15 months to manifest, which makes sense, and so you're going to save about... 3.6 to 5.6% on the number of fatalities if you do this nationally. Okay, so drunk driving goes down. Other scholars replicated this, so what else can we ask? Well, do people change their drinking patterns in response to entry then? Right, you've probably had this moment. We have these nice Abercrombie models here. He's smoking a cigarette in the Uber. Don't smoke, it's bad. And don't smoke in an Uber, that's just rude. Right, although it's probably not like good looking people like this, it's probably more like this guy. Um, we've all been that guy at the end of the night. All right, so drinking in the United States is a problem, right? I think, and I'm not a teetotaler, I would never pretend to be, but it is. Alcohol consumption has huge punitive effects on public health. 88,000 people died between 2006 and 2010 as a result of acute alcohol poisoning and DUIs. Like, this is a thing, right? And there are huge deleterious outcomes. Spousal and child abuse stems from alcoholism, the inability to maintain gainful employment, health concerns, so diabetes, liver, sexual dysfunction, all these things come along with alcohol consumption. So this isn't necessarily a good thing if we're incentivizing people to drink more, right? Because there's two explanations. If, if all of a sudden it's easier for me to get home for the bar, why might drinking patterns change? Well, on the one hand, you have something like a Peltzman effect, so Sam Peltzman, is that when safety measures are implemented, people tend to increase their risky behavior. Canonical example is seatbelts. When the United States mandated that seatbelts be installed in every single car, the amount of speeding went up, the number of crashes went up, because people felt they were more safe, 
right? Because he had a seatbelt on, right? So people might say, well, I'm going to booze more because I know I can get home. The other is just a straight Econ 101 argument, right? So if we think about the cost of DUI and transportation has gone down, right? It's drinking is expertise. So if you get utility from drinking, you're going to drink more, right? We use things, we use more of things that cost less if we gain utility from them. It makes sense. Right, so in the case of ride sharing, so like drunk driving, the directional case is open and shut. People are either going to drink more or drink more in an insignificant way. The question is like, under what conditions will this manifest? Perhaps the amount of consumption rises, right? So we have more binge drinking, right? Perhaps the frequency of consumption rises. Perhaps it's contingent upon demographics. Maybe it's contingent about location, right? Here we have ambiguities that we need to figure out. All right, so that's what we're going to try and do. So data on alcohol consumption is going to be drawn from the BRFIS, right, which is the Behavioral Risk uh, Factor Survey is run by the CDC every year. And it's going to give us information on people who are doing any drinking right, and people who have engaged in binge drinking, which is five, five drinks in a single session for men, four drinks in a single session for women. Hooray sexism. And we're going to do this at the MSA level, or so a metropolitan statistical area. We're going to draw Uber, uh, data on Uber entry from the Uber blog. These data actually also include the amount or the number of people who report drinking every single day for 30 days straight, which is the definition of alcoholism, right? But I'm not going to show those estimations, right? So MSA population density is drawn from the Census Bureau, right? And so we have 13 MSAs between 2010 and 2016. All right, so how are we going to do this? So we're going to run a persona regression on the following occasion, which looks at Uber entry. We're not going to differentiate between Uber X and Uber Black at this point, because at this point in the data, there's so much overlap. The dependent variable is going to be the weighted number of persons who report any drinking and the weighted number of persons who report binge drinking. All right, the variable enter, or the variable definition, we're just going to be looking at UberX. Like I said, controls, we have year and MSA fixed effects. Right? And we're going to stratify the sample based on population density. So we're going to look at more popu densely populated areas and less popula densely populated areas. So what we see if we run this regression, is that you don't really see a change in the number of people who drink, which makes sense because if you didn't drink before Uber, it's not like you need an Uber to get home now, right? So it's not incentivizing teetotalers to begin drinking. But what we also see is that the increased effects of drinking really happen in highly densely populated areas, specifically, and this regression results aren't reported, among white men. Right, so well-to-do, college-educated white men in large areas are far more likely to binge drink as a result of Uber entry, right? Which isn't exactly what we want, right? That's a deleterious outcome. And graphically, you can kind of see this, right, over time, right? Beforehand, there's really no difference between treated and untreated locations, and then you see a significant rise after the fact, right? So there is an increase in boozing as a result of the increased mobility. All right, so question two. The entry of UberX is associated with a material increase in binge drinking. We see no concomitant change in the number of people who drink generally or in alcoholism overall, right? Because if you're an alcoholic, you're probably dedicated to drinking every day and Uber's not messing with your calculus, right? So this conceptually suggests that people engage in unhealthful behaviors when they derive utility from it and it's less costly to do because there's no effect in locations where Uber would be super costly to acquire. Remember what we talked about before, small towns, you don't see an effect on the DUI rate just because you have a lack of population. So economically, the results suggest a 4% increase in the amount of binge drinking that happens in densely populated SMSAs. Well, a spike in drinking opens the door to a whole lot of subsequent questions because now we have to start thinking about policy, right? Are there further 
spillovers that stem from this, right? And this is where we're just going to start pulling the thread a little bit, right? As discussed, you know, alcohol consumption is associated with a host of deleterious outcomes. So where might we see other effects? Well, if people are drinking more, what happens to sexual assault? What happens to property crime? What happens to public transit usage, right? The case of sexual assault is kind of, it's dubious. We know when people booze more, we are more likely to observe sexual assault. However, as a result of Uber being there, a young woman who may want to leave a party now has more transportation options, right? So you could obviate the total number of sexual assaults by increasing mobility for victims, right? Property crimes, when people drink more, they are more likely to commit property crimes, including assault, right? Public transit usage, or do you actually have substitution away from public transit or do you have, have complementary? Right? So you might think, oh, I'm in downtown Atlanta, I no longer need to take a train or take a bus, I can take Uber. Right? Alternatively, it might solve last mile problems for people who want to get to public transportation options where otherwise they would have driven. Right? And there's actually a lot of work, so Park et al. look at this, right? and they see a decrease in the amount of sexual assault after Uber comes in. So it looks like you're actually obviating these problems by giving would-be victims increased access to transportation. Public transit, one of my very good friends, Gord Birch, wrote a paper on this, and what he finds is that there's both complementary effects and substitution effects, right? So in terms of downtown Atlanta traffic, you're actually gonna see a spike because more people are taking Ubers, right, instead of taking public transit. However, there's a complementary effect in that it actually solves last mile problems for people who are further outside the city who might wanna use heavy rail to get in to commute, Right? You can actually complement and you'll see an increase in the utilization there. Property crimes, Dilson Mulholland has this wonderful paper where they say it's the intermittent drops in arrests for assault and disorderly conduct, right? which is actually kind of shocking because usually when you dump booze into things, the one thing that you can guarantee is that more people are going to get into fights. Right? But you actually see a drop because people can begin to get home before they get too drunk. Right? But there are a whole bunch of other questions that we haven't answered yet, like what's the impact on domestic violence? Right. We know that booze leads to domestic violence increases. Do we see the same effect here? Right? How does this affect underage drinking? If you're affecting underage drinking, how does that affect risky sexual behavior? If you're affecting risky sexual behavior, how does that affect things like teenage pregnancy? These are questions that are open and unanswered, and they're important right? because we're getting back to this original question, like, is, is ride-sharing good or bad? The answer is, it depends. It entirely depends, and young people like yourselves are the ones who have to solve these problems. So where do we go from here? There's a whole bunch of interesting questions that we can think about, right? Just from a policy perspective, right? If we think about it from healthcare policy, right? This is going to materially impact the, organ, the market for organ donation, right? Where do most donated organs come from? They come from car crashes. They come from car crashes usually when a drunk person piles into somebody who's not drunk, right? So you're going to begin to change them. How do we begin? initiating alcoholism treatment for people who booze more, right? If we think about this from a legal perspective, what are liabilities? So duty of care and common care, which I'm a law student, so I, I, I'm pedantic under normal circumstances, but this gets me very excited. Public accommodation, right? It is illegal per federal law to deny somebody access to a public accommodation based on race. There are tremendous amounts of racism in when people are picking up Ubers, right? In terms of cancellations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Is that a violation of federal law? These are open questions that nobody's beginning to address, right? And if we think about policy more generally, like how do we minimize alcohol abuse? 
how do we make policy fair for incumbents? I know the, one of the earlier talks was talking about how taxi drivers are idiots and fools, and they were, and the idiots, and taxi drivers didn't modernize. That's why you have Uber, right? But now you have heterogeneous policy across incumbent behaviors like taxi drivers and people who are hawking for ride shares, right? And so how do you ensure free market competition? I won't talk about Parker Doctrine because I'm the only one who cares about it. Worker status is another thing. Traffic safety is another thing. Like these are open questions and if we don't answer them, we're not gonna be able to, to create interesting or effective policy which does what we wanted to do in the first place, right? Which is maximize overall welfare. So that's all I got. Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coles.kennesaw.edu econop.